Gracious God, we ask that you would speak to us, that we might encounter you. We pray that you would meet with us, that we might be with you. We pray that you would open up our ears and eyes, that we might hear and see you in new ways. Help us follow Jesus better. It's in his strong name we pray. Amen. Pastor John Orberg tells the story of the day when Helen Keller first met her first teacher, Miss Sullivan, who first taught her the concept of letters and language, and in the process opened up her world into a whole new reality. It began as a frustrating morning, but then her eyes were opened even as she remained blind. Uh, but you can imagine the moment. Uh, he writes, we walked down the path to the well house, attracted by the fragrance of the honeysuckle with which it was covered. Someone was drawing water, and my teacher placed my hand under the spout. As the cool stream gushed over one hand, she spelled out in the other word, water, first slowly, then rapidly. I stood still, my whole attention fixed upon the motion of her fingers. Suddenly, I felt a misty consciousness as of something forgotten, a thrill of returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that W-A-T-E-R meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. There were still barriers, true, but barriers that could in time be swept away. I left the well house eager to learn. Everything had a name, and each name gave birth to a new thought. As we returned to the house, every object which I touched seemed to quiver with life. That was because I saw everything with the strange new sight that had come to me. And Ortberg concludes, Helen had been alone and now she was not. She had been imprisoned in her mind and now she was set free. She had been trapped in anger and self-pity and now she knew repentance. She had felt useless and now she had a great purpose that would inspire millions. Her world blossomed and she along with it. And it happened because of one person. After the water had been sprinkled on her, she made Miss Sullivan her friend and teacher and guide. She did what Miss Sullivan said. She learned what Miss Sullivan taught. She was saved. Again, that living word awakened my soul, gave it light, hope, joy, set it free. Imagine being blind and then gaining a new kind of sight. Imagine being lost and then being found. Imagine being alone and then being brought back into community, into fellowship. Though maybe more than that, what if we were more like Keller's teacher? What if we were the kind of people who did this work of restoration in ourselves and in others, of healing, of finding, of bringing back together? 
What if that is our calling too? Let me remind you where we are. Uh, in our current series, we are trying to understand what it means for us to be disciples. And we began by recognizing that innately discipleships, uh, disciples are working to become more like their teachers, their rabbis, which is why disciples spend so much time with them, so that they can learn what they know, so that they can model what they do, so that they can experience what they feel, and so that they can emulate their rabbis better. And of course, that's what we see in Jesus' disciples, listening and learning from Him, practicing what they see Him doing, working to know Him better so that they can become more like Him. In the same way as modern disciples, we listen and learn, we practice and pray, we work and we worship so that we too can become more like Him. But for that to happen, we have to spend more time with Him and pay more attention to Him so that we can hear what He's actually teaching and so that we can model what He's actually doing and so that we can experience what He's actually feeling as we follow Him and strive to become more like Him. Because, of course, the goal of faith isn't to be more Christian or to act more Christian or to make more Christians. The goal of the faith is discipleship. Becoming more like Jesus, acting more like Jesus, helping others become more like Jesus. We follow Him so that we can be transformed and so that we too can become more like Him. And so if you will, I would encourage you to turn your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verse 18. Luke 18, 18. While you're turning there, I'll let you know that our passage will show several people who are blind in different ways, and yet we'll also see how Jesus is at work restoring them. And so as I read, let's look at who can see and who can't. That said, remember, our real goal here is to become more like Jesus, so keep your eyes on Him too. Let's see what happens. Luke 18, 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. 
He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting on the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus. Praising God, when all the people saw it, they also praised God. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Amen. Okay, a lot happening here. We've actually done this passage a couple of times, so we're going to, all the obvious stuff we're going to kind of leave for the past. And we're going to try and work on this in a different way. But before we go back through our passage, let's remember what we are trying to do. We are striving to be better disciples, which means we're trying to become more like Jesus. We aren't just trying to learn what He knew, we're trying to do what He does. And so as we go back through our passage, let's look to see if we can't find ways where we can become more like Him. And what I am struck by in this passage is how Jesus seems to be all about restoration, taking things that are lost and showing them a different way, taking things that are broken and healing them, taking things that are separate and reconnecting them. And so I want us to work back through this passage looking at how Jesus works to restore the soul of the ruler, restore the sight of the blind man, and restore the status of the tax collector, while of course also bringing a deeper and more profound restoration, His kingdom come. But we start with a ruler. Our passage begins with a wealthy ruler coming to Jesus, wanting to enter eternal life, wanting to inherit eternal life. And my suspicion is that this is the wrong question to ask, which is why Jesus then pivots to the top of, topic of goodness. You see, too often our understanding of eternity and salvation is simply too small and too myopic. 
when we, heard, when we hear that word salvation, we only think about saving from sin. And we only think about how now we get to go to heaven for eternity, in eternity. Which you'll notice causes us to focus on what will happen later, what we will get, and what we now have earned or deserve. It focuses me on me. But what's interesting is that when you actually look through the Bible for that word salvation, it almost always is talking about more and different and better and bigger. Because the saving that we need is much more extensive and expansive. Salvation from enemies, salvation from ourselves, salvation from hurts and pains, Salvation from habits and addictions, salvation from history and hopelessness and fear, salvation from our wrong ways of living. Some of this comes in living a different way, which is why Jesus then invites the rich young ruler to, to keep his commandments, to give extravagantly, and to come follow. Because, because our need of saving goes deeper than just forgiveness or getting into heaven later. We need a, a deeper kind of rescue, a deeper kind of healing, a deeper kind of salvation, which is why the man becomes sad. It's why Jesus acknowledges how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's why following and discipleship are important. It's interesting, this ruler is having trouble seeing because he thinks that there's a purchase price for salvation not recognizing that he may need to be saved from even seeing the world in this way. His blindness seems to be a function of looking for the wrong things in the wrong ways. He can't see the kingdom of God in his midst. Even as it is here and it is now, he's still missing it because he's looking toward the wrong things. He's looking for the wrong things. And yet remember, our mission in this is that we are trying to become more like Jesus. And as we watch, we see Jesus working with this man actually to try and restore him, to open up his eyes, to set him free from what's holding him back, to invite him into a new kind of life, not just later but now. What if we too were the kind of people who helped to restore people, leading them into the kingdom of God in the here and now, helping others to see this new reality in our midst? Of course, it's at this point that our author Luke then gives us his little aside because Jesus explains everything that's about to happen to the disciples and they miss and misunderstand all of it. Uh, apparently, disciples have their moments of blindness as well, even when Jesus spells it out, but we'll keep going because so does Luke. And we come to the blind man. Uh, as Jesus heads to Jericho and ultimately toward Jerusalem, he comes upon a blind man who's begging by the side of the road. The blind man wants to know what's going on. He's told, uh, and he starts to cry out to Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. It is interesting that for all of his blindness, he can see that Jesus is the Messiah, the, the new king, the son of David. And also, 
more personally important. The Messiah is also the one who the prophets say will restore sight to the blind. Of course, everyone is trying to get a piece of Jesus, and so those who are leading the way try and get the blind man to quiet back down, but that only makes him all the more desperate. Finally, Jesus stops and has the man brought to him, and Jesus asks the man what he wants. And notice, while that sort of seems a little callous coming from Jesus, the reality is that it could be a, quite a bunch of different things. He's not only blind, but remember, he's there begging by the side of the road for money. He needs help. But the man's answer is plain enough. He wants to see. Notice, he's not asking for forgiveness. He's not asking for eternity. He's not asking for heaven. He simply wants to have his sight restored. And Jesus responds, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Or as some Bibles translate, receive your sight, your faith has saved you. Because, of course, what if salvation and healing are about more than just heaven later up there? What if our salvation is also and more about here and now, about a, a deeper restoration and a better orientation, about coming to know God better and realizing that God is closer than we ever thought possible? And notice what happens. The blind man's sight is restored, and then he starts to follow after Jesus, and he praises God. And then more than that, everyone else who sees it is drawn up into worship as well. But remember our question, what is Jesus doing? And again, we see that even though he's on his way somewhere else, he stops and he engages with this man in compassion. And then more than that, he does the work of restoring this man. And it's probably worth noting that this man's restoration is twofold. He receives his sight, and then he starts to follow Jesus. Again, we see Jesus working to restore people and help them become better disciples, pointing them back toward him. What if we were the kind of people who could help restore sight? Maybe even more than that, maybe more miraculous still, what if we were the kind of people who followed after Jesus and helped others reorient their lives toward Him as well, such that others, outsiders, would praise God because of it? What if we are called to be more like Jesus in restoring people? But let's keep going. Jesus then enters into Jericho on his way through. Of course, remember, there was a crowd before he got into town. He's now healed the blind man, so we have to assume this crowd has grown even bigger. In the town, there's a man named Zacchaeus. He's the chief tax collector. He's short, he's wealthy, and he wants to see Jesus. A couple things to note. First, tax collectors worked for the Romans, but they tended to be of the people that they were taxing. So they were not just unliked they were also seen sort of as traitors, working for the enemy. Of course, the Romans didn't particularly like them all that much either. To make matters worse, we find out Zacchaeus is wealthy, and it doesn't take a lot of reading between the lines to figure out how a tax collector like this gets that way. Well, I mean, 
you owe a little bit more. And uh, you know what? I, I, I will. If a little something appears in my hand, I can look past that. I, I just won't see it. If there's a little uh, something over here, I can, I can not pay attention over there. Uh, I'm sorry. That, this year, that's double. Uh, trip, did I say triple? I said quadruple taxed this year. It's a, there was a rule change up there in Rome. Darn Romans. It doesn't take a lot to figure out why he's wealthy. To make matters worse still, ironically, his name Zacchaeus means pure or righteous. So you can imagine how people would have seen him, how, how people would have spat out his name. And there goes Mr. Pure. <laughs> What's more, the fact that he's tr- having trouble with the crowd reminds us that he's, not, that he's known and not liked. He should easily have been able to make it through the crowd or at least been a part of the crowd but instead we find him to be an outsider. So in order to catch a glimpse of Jesus, he climbs a sycamore tree to see what he can see as the song goes, which also would have been a little bit desperate, a little bit embarrassing for a grown man of of status in that time. And Jesus comes right to the tree, looks up and calls him down, invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house, and Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. And this is when the crowd then starts to grumble because, of course, we know this guy. Wait, wait just a second. That's that cheating tax guy. Hang on. That's a sinner, a sinner with a capital S, not like the rest of us. We just have the lowercase one. But that guy, he's, he's not a good guy. And yet because of Jesus, something has changed inside of Zacchaeus because he gives away half of his possession and pays the cheated back four times over. And Jesus responds, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Notice what Jesus is doing. Remember, we're trying to be more like him. Jesus is restoring this man back into the community. He's restoring Zacchaeus' status. He's restoring Zacchaeus' heart and pointing it back toward God. Because let's recognize Zacchaeus was lost, and he's been found. This is salvation. Augustine makes this point in a rather interesting way. We can see how Jesus has welcomed Zacchaeus into his heart. I wonder sometimes do we get that backwards? We can see how Jesus has welcomed Zacchaeus into his heart. Because, of course, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. What if we, too, were to see that as our calling? What if we were the people who sought out the lost and the lonely, the hurting and the harming, the angry and the afraid, the distant, the disgraced? And what if we could, what if we could work with Jesus to help us all turn more toward Him? What if we could work with Him to help everyone follow Him better, to be closer to Him, that we might come to know God better? This is why we have to have a clearer idea what we mean by salvation. Because lostness is about so much more than just those who haven't become Christians yet. Salvation is about so much more than just sin management. 
faith is about so much more than just heaven later. Because the goal is discipleship. We follow and serve the one who restores, who helps and heals and saves. This is the good news of the kingdom of God. This is what we have received, and then this becomes our work as well. Because it's Jesus' work, and we follow Him. We're disciples. Let's pray. Lord God, we recognize sometimes our eyes remain closed. But we also have hope because you are the God who opens our eyes, restores our sight, restores our status, and then calls us, calls us to join you in the work that you are at work doing. Lord, might we be a people who are more like Jesus, with love and compassion. Might we be the kind of people who also do that work of restoration, of helping others follow you better, of bringing people back into community, of healing the hurting. Lord, help us. Help us follow you today and always. We pray all this in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.